All right, well, uh, Merry Christmas and uh, welcome to all nations. Uh, thanks for joining us on this beautiful Sunday. Um, over the last two weeks, uh, we've been going through a series uh, through Advent called Love Came Down. Love Came Down. And throughout the series, we've been unpacking the great miracle or the great doctrine of the incarnation, which simply means uh, how, or which simply is the study of how God, the Son of God, became a man, how he took on flesh and lived and walked among us. Now, two weeks ago, we learned that because of the incarnation, the sons of man can become sons of God. Okay? Jesus came to redeem us and bring us into the family of God. And that was two weeks ago. Last week, we learned that through the incarnation, Jesus has destroyed the works of the devil and secured victory over death for us. Well, today, we're in the last sermon of our series, and uh, it's, it's the Christmas story. Uh, found in Luke chapter 2, and we're going to see how the arrival of Jesus brings true joy and peace into the world. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to get right into the text. Uh, please turn to our passage today, um, Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 20. It's a little bit of a longer passage, but I will, um, I'll do my best dynamic read for us. May God bless the reading of his holy and matchless word. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased." When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Amen. The word of the Lord. Friends, what is the greatest news you've ever heard? What are some of the just greatest announcements, right, uh, that you've ever received? Something that really struck your heart, something that possibly changed your life. Maybe it was receiving that acceptance letter into your dream school, or maybe it's not your dream school, it's just your backup school. And as a high school senior, you just got rejection after rejection after rejection. And the first time a school said yes, you're like, thank you, 
right? Thank you. I'm tired of the rejections. And, and that was really life-giving. That was really hope-bringing. Or maybe uh, for our singles or adults, uh, it was a callback from an employer telling you that you finally got the job after so many applications submitted, after going through so many interviews, you finally found a, a, a boss, you finally found an employer, you finally found a company that wanted you and accepted you. And so when you got that job, that was just thrilling and life-giving. Or maybe that news was your wife telling you that she's pregnant on a Sunday morning before you have to preach, right? Well, that never happened to you guys, right? No, it, it didn't happen to me either. It didn't happen to me either, but it happened to a good friend of mine. He was so shook. He was about to preach. His wife's like, hey, we're having a baby. And he was like, what? And he doesn't even remember what he preached. He just remembers the panic and the fear. One thing is true for all of us, though. We love getting good news. We love getting good news. It exhilarates us. It fills us with joy. If you're in the middle of anxiety and sorrow and stress, if you get good news, it gives you so much peace. We love getting good news, and when you get that good news, it's natural for us to share that good news with others. You post it on social media, you tell your friends, you call your parents, right? And we just want to invite others to share in our joy. It's so natural for us. Well, in our passage today, we see an angel, a messenger of God, brings a group of shepherds good news of great joy. This is the greatest announcement ever made to man. Better than getting to USC, the Harvard of the West, right? Better than getting, landing that dream job or dream girl or having your first kid. This is the greatest announcement ever made to man. And I want to walk us through this passage so that you and I can also receive this announcement. So that you and I can share in the great joy that God has offered to us through his son, Jesus Christ. And so as we look through Luke chapter 2, we're going to see three things. First, we're going to look at the less than ordinary birth of Jesus, okay? I know that's a weird term. I'm going to explain that, right? But we're going to see the less than ordinary birth of Jesus. Secondly, we're going to look at the extraordinary announcement about Jesus. And finally, the life-changing offer made in Jesus, okay? So the less than ordinary birth, the extraordinary announcement, and the life-changing offer made to us in Jesus. Now, um, first point, it's an odd point, right? to talk about the less than ordinary birth of Jesus. And I'm not saying that because as if it wasn't miraculous, as if the birth, the virgin birth wasn't amazing. No, it was absolutely amazing. Theologians say that the incarnation is the greatest miracle to ever take place in history, okay? So the death and resurrection of Jesus is the most important miracle. It's the most significant miracle, but the incarnation is just the most stupendous miracle. It's the great, do you guys see the distinction, right? Why is the incarnation the greatest miracle, right? Uh, the, the most unfathomable miracle to ever take place is because God took on flesh. How does that happen? The eternal, everlasting maker of the universe, omnipotent, infinite, perfect, righteous, and holy. How does he become a man? and walk among us. Does that make, it's, it's, it's mind-blowing. So I'm not saying that the incarnation of Jesus isn't mind-blowing, but here is my point. My point is this. The circumstances of Jesus' birth were less than ordinary. 
day. The circumstances of Jesus' birth were less than ordinary. He wasn't, he wasn't born in the comforts of Mary and Joseph's home. He wasn't born in a hospital. He wasn't born in the great city of Jerusalem. He was born in a little town called Bethlehem. He was born on a road trip that his parents had to make because Caesar Augustus had declared a census to be taken in the Roman Empire. Did you guys, anyone see on social media this week, uh, the, the woman who gave birth to a baby in Chick-fil-A? Right? That baby's got Chick-fil-A for life. Right? I'm going to tell Alice, my, my, my wife is due next month. We're just going to do Chick-fil-A every day. See what happens. Right? Make a mess. Get Chick-fil-A for life. Anyways, but Jesus was born not even at home, not even in the hometown. He was born on a road trip to Bethlehem. They weren't even, I mean, like on an ordinary day, they wouldn't even be in Bethlehem. Joseph and Mary's hometown was Nazareth. Right? They were from the region of Galilee, but they had to go down to Bethlehem because Caesar Augustus had declared that there should be a census taken in the empire, the Roman Empire. So everybody had to go to their hometown. Joseph was from Bethlehem, the same city as King David. So they were there to register for the census. And while they were in Bethlehem, guess what? Mary went into labor, right? Worst case scenario. She went into labor, but the town was already packed because everyone who had lineage that dated back to Bethlehem, they were all just, uh, just swarming down on this town, so there was no room at the inn. The Bible doesn't tell us much else about the birth. It was a healthy, successful, miraculous birth. The next thing we are told is that Jesus was laid in a manger. Jesus was covered with uh, swaddling cloths and laid in a manger. Now, when you think of a manger, what do you think of? We just think of like a, a nice wooden crib, right? Something earthy, right? Something very kind of like you would find in anthropology, right? Or something cool, like kind of rustic, right? That's the picture that we have, like, oh, a manger, right? Um, that was not the case. A manger was not fit to be a crib. It wasn't a bassinet. It wasn't even like a pack and play. All the parents are like, yeah, I know all of those, right? There's a new thing called a docatot, really expensive. You put the baby in there, you put him on the bed, and you co-sleep, right? Jesus didn't even have a docatot, right? Jesus was stuck in a manger. Now, what was a manger? A manger was a feeding trough for cattle, okay? Shepherds would put hay. Shepherds would put grains and food to feed their cows, to feed their horses, to feed their donkeys. And if you've ever seen a cow eat or a horse eat, they drool everywhere. They make a mess. A manger was no place to lay a baby. It's not a pretty picture. Absolutely not appropriate for a newborn. For our germophobic parents, you guys would have freaked out. On the first night, the first day of your baby's birth, you got to put him in a germ-infested, nasty manger. That's probably why Mary like double-swaddled Jesus with extra towels and extra cloth because it was so dirty. Friends, my wife and I, like I shared, we're expecting our first child next month. And if we had to deliver our baby in one of the, I'm sure you've seen all the horses around our church, all the horse ranches. Well, there in every horse ranch, there are feeding troughs. If we had to deliver our baby at a horse ranch and put our baby, his name's going to be Seth, baby Seth, in a feeding trough, my wife would destroy me. We'd be done. She'd be furious. But this is where Jesus spent his first night on earth, sleeping in a feeding trough made for cows, made for animals. This reinforces what I said last week about the incarnation of Jesus, that it's the beginning of Jesus' humiliation. The life of Jesus is broken into two large chapters. It's his humiliation and his glorification. 
And his humiliation starts with the conception. It starts with the virgin birth. And every day of his life, he experienced humiliation as the son of God, as the fullness of God, as the image of the infinite one. That was Jesus' life. And his humiliation climaxes at his death on the cross. His entire life on this earth was humiliating. His birth was truly humiliating. Think about who Jesus was. He wasn't just the son of a carpenter. He was the only begotten son of God. He was the creator of the universe. He wasn't just the firstborn son of Mary and Joseph. Colossians tells us he was the firstborn of all creation. He's the prince of peace and the king of kings. The prophet Isaiah says he's so great, he's so majestic that the government will be on his shoulders. But what happened for Jesus on the first night here on earth? He did not receive the royal welcome that he deserved. What kind of welcome did he deserve? He deserved for all of creation to worship him. He deserved for every being in, on he in heaven and on earth to bow before him. He deserved for Caesar Augustus, King Harold, the high priest, every ruler in the world to go before Jesus and bow down in awe and worship. He deserved to have the inn cleared for his arrival, not rejected because they were too full. The inn should have cleared for him. Uh, my freshman year at uh, USC, I stayed in this uh, dorm called Burncrant. It's right next to the library. It was like the good place to stay. That's where I lived. And uh, it wasn't while I was a student there, but I heard from an upperclassman that in previous years, right, um, like a Saudi Arabian prince was a student at USC. And the security was so high and he was such a, like a baller that they cleared an entire floor in the dorm for him. He was that important. Royalty had come to live at Burncrant, right? And so they cleared a floor for him. It was just him and the bodyguards, right? Sounds cool. It's kind of lonely though, right? Kind of lonely. Freshman year, you want to like make friends and you want to hang out with your dorm mates. Instead, it was just him and his bodyguards. Jesus, he deserved so much more. He deserved the end to be cleared for him. He deserved to have the, the, the finest linens, the finest crib to spend his first night, the finest accommodations the world had to offer. But instead, Mary wrapped him, double wrapped him in swaddling cloths, laid him in a manger, a feeding trough, because there was no place for them at the inn. This actually shows us what kind of king Jesus would be. It shows us that Jesus would be a humble king, that he would be a humiliated king from his birth to his death, all so that he could save us from our sins. This foreshadows, as a baby, he's suffering this first night, but foreshadows that Jesus would be this man of sorrows, that he would be beaten, betrayed, and bloodied on the cross so that he could give his life as a ransom for many. All this he endured for God's glory and to bring us great joy. Let's move to our second point. After the less than ordinary birth of Jesus, we have the extraordinary announcement of Jesus. Luke tells us that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And there was a group of shepherds who were tending their flock at night. And while they were tending the flock that night, an angel of the Lord, a messenger of God, came to them. And he said, fear not, or it, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. 
For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. See, church, love this passage. I love it because it shows us how God works for his glory. It shows us how the Father glorifies the Son, even if humanity would misunderstand him, even if humanity would mistreat the Son, even though Jesus went so unrecognized, unnoticed, so despised in his birth, the Father made sure that he would be announced. The Father recognized him. The Father made sure that he would be exalted. So God sends an angel to declare the good news, the truth of who Jesus truly was. Now I want to highlight two things about this extraordinary announcement. First, I want you to consider who it is that receives the announcement. The angel doesn't go to Caesar. The angel doesn't go to the priest. He doesn't go to to the Pharisees or the religious leaders. He goes to shepherds. Now, I know that when you think of shepherds in the Bible, you think of like the good guys, right? We think the shepherds are the good guys because Jesus was the good shepherd. King David was the shepherd boy who then took his sling and defeated Goliath. Moses was a shepherd, right? Pastors are supposed to be shepherds caring for the flock. And so we have this very positive view of shepherds. They must be good people. But in reality, to the Jews, did you guys know that shepherds had a terrible reputation? Shepherds were despised. They were considered dirty and unclean. Why? Because they were living in the fields. They were always working with animals. They were ceremonially unclean, just as they were like hygienically unclean, right? If you've ever like spent time with a farmer or a rancher, they kind of smell like manure. Sorry if you're a farm family, but that's just real. You got to wash, like you got to double wash, right? Because you're always handling animals, right? And, and, and you're caring for their feces and all of that. That's not even scripted. I don't even know why I'm saying that, but that's just true, right? And so they were despised, okay? Uh, Not only were they considered unclean, shepherds were considered liars. They were considered thieves. And so their testimony was inadmissible in the Jewish court of law. Think about that. I mean, how lowly do you have to be where your word doesn't count? You could say, this guy stole from me, or this guy beat my friend, Right? This guy committed a crime, and your word doesn't count because you are a shepherd. That's discrimination. They were discriminated against. They were the rung of Jewish society, right? just above the lepers, just above the lepers. And yet, these were the first men to hear the good news of God. The angel goes to shepherds. He didn't go to, the angel does not go to priests or kings, but to lowly shepherds. And this reminds us about who Jesus is. This this reminds us of the truth of the gospel. Like everything about Jesus, this undermines our expectations. The first shall be last, the last shall be first. The second thing that we see about this announcement is itself contains extraordinary news. The angel is bringing good news of great joy for all the people. In the Greek, the word for good news is euangelion, right? And that actually means gospel. That's the word, uh, that's the root word for where we get gospel. Brothers and sisters, the gospel is the good news of Jesus. The gospel is the great joy that God offers to us through the life of Jesus Christ, through the incarnation of Jesus Christ. And so this angel makes this amazing, powerful declaration of who this baby is. 
This baby in a dirty manger. This baby born in a lowly city, Bethlehem. The angel says in verse 11, For unto you, born this day in the city of David, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This is the good news for all people. That Christ is Lord over all. That Jesus is the Savior from the line of David. And he gives us these four titles. And in these four titles, Jesus is tell- the angel is telling us who Jesus truly is. As the son of David, Jesus is fulfilling the great promise that God made to David, that he would establish an everlasting throne from his line, that one day the king of kings would come and to lead and rule over his people and the world. As the savior, Jesus would save his people from their sins. Christ. Christ is not Jesus' last name. Christ means Messiah. It means that Jesus is the anointed one that Jesus is the one who's been set apart, that Jesus has a special mission to accomplish a special work from God. And finally, as Lord, the angel is telling us that Jesus is authority. He has authority over all, that he is God and he alone has the right to rule. That's who Jesus is. And to give the shepherds a sign to confirm this news. And I I love that. Guys, I, I, I... I just want you to know, like, I, I think in the church, we have a couple of phrases that are really unhelpful. And one is this, blind faith. Have you guys heard that? Just blind faith. Have faith like a child. You, you don't know, you don't understand, just believe and like just kind of dive in. Brothers and sisters, blind faith is not biblical faith, okay? Blind faith is not biblical faith, okay? God wants you to believe and have good reasons for believing. The angel came to the shepherds and says, hey, this baby born this night in Bethlehem, he is God. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord. And the angel says, don't just take my word for it. Go and see. Go and see. God gives us signs. God gives us evidence of who he truly is. And the angel says, go and see for yourself. And this is the sign. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Now, when I read this, I was like, what kind of sign is that, right? What kind of sign is that? That's like just, like you're gonna, you're gonna go find a baby and that baby's God, but hey, go to our church right now. We have babies everywhere. Which one are you talking about? How are the shepherds supposed to find this Jesus? It could be any baby born that night, but in reality, it couldn't be. You see, all the other babies, they were in cribs. All the other babies were in beds, All the other babies were where they should be, safely in homes or comfortably at the inns. There was only one baby in Bethlehem lying in a feeding trough. Only one baby lying in a manger. Only one baby that night sleeping with the animals. There was only one baby born in such humility and poverty that night. And it was Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And the shepherds went and they found him. They were amazed. You just wouldn't expect that. Does that make sense? Imagine if I said, hey, guys, you're going to go find a baby in the feeding trough at the cattle ranch behind our church. You just wouldn't expect that. But the shepherds did because God's word is true. God is a God who proves himself. Phil Riken, the president of Wheaton College, he has a great quote on this for us, and it's going to go up on the screen. This is what he says. We can recognize Jesus, the same way that the shepherds recognized him, by his humility. When we see him wrapped 
in the swaddling cloths of his humanity. And even more, when we see him dying in the naked agony of the cross, we know that he is the Christ God sent to save us. You will know who Jesus truly is, not by just power and glory. You will know him by humility. You will know him in his grace. Brothers and sisters, this is so powerful and so true. We've even experienced this in our own lives. The, the most powerful expressions of love that we know, they don't just come from power and privilege. They come from humility and sacrifice, okay? So you can love someone out of like overflow. You can love someone out of power. You can throw people bones and, and give people help and opportunities. But the most transformative, the most powerful expressions of love haven't come to us out of convenience. They've come to us out of sacrifice, they come to us out of sacrifice. Let me give you a personal example. Growing up, um, uh, I always thought my father was the greatest. Yeah, he was always great. He was very generous, okay, very generous. He spoiled me. He spoiled me rotten, right? And so his love language was gifts, and my love language, my receiving language was gifts, right? So it was a well, video game, Nerf gun, BB gun, all of that stuff. The greatest Christmas gift I ever got was a, um, a go-kart. Okay. And I lived in Georgia, so it was me and all the little rednecks, and we all wanted go-karts to go like riding through the forest, right? And then we would like create these like dirt paths and stuff like that. And finally, one year, after I'd been hounding him year after year for a go-kart, he finally got me one, and it was the greatest Christmas gift I ever got. I will never buy my son a go-kart, right? Um, caused so much terror on it. Anyhow, so I was like, man, my dad, so generous, so good, Right? I, did, I knew he loved me, but I never knew how much he sacrificed for me until I worked one summer with him at the family dry cleaners. My dad wasn't a doctor. He wasn't an engineer. He wasn't a lawyer. He was a blue-collar owner of dry cleaners. And one summer as a high school student, I went with him, and I saw him work every morning from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. We lived an hour away from the workplace. And in the summer in Georgia, it was 90-degree heat, with 100% humidity, okay? No air conditioning because the utility bill is too high, right? And, and I know for Californians, you're like, no, 100% humidity, humidity, get some humidity, Michael. Like, that doesn't make any sense. It's real, it's real, right? You step out of the car, you start dripping with sweat, and I saw my father work every day of every summer, 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. under these conditions, and I realized why his hands were so calloused. And I realized why his skin was so bad. I realized why, his, why he was so beaten and exhausted after days and weeks of work. But his love for me, his love for our family, it led him to endure long days of steam, of sweat, and chemicals. And I never realized the depth of my father's love until I saw his sacrifice. Does that make sense? You can appreciate love in gifts. You can appreciate love in words. But when you see love in sacrifice, that's transformative. That's powerful. That's deep. And brothers and sisters, I want to say the love of Jesus, infinitely deeper. The sacrifice of Jesus, infinitely greater on this Christmas day, the question is this, do you see it? Do you see the love of Jesus? Have you received the sacrifice of Jesus? 
Are you moved by it? When you are told, when I declare that Jesus has loved you to the point of death, does that echo in your soul? Or does it bounce off your hardened heart? And are you unimpressed? This Christmas, I hope that you would see Jesus and you would see his love. You would see his humility. You'd see his sacrifice and you would be moved. Let's continue in our passage. After the angel makes his announcement to the shepherds, an amazing thing happens, okay? There's one angel that comes to the shepherds, makes this declaration about Jesus. And then suddenly, the heavens open up. And a host of angels, an army of angels, praising God, show up. And they say, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is well pleased. You see, church, it only took one angel to announce the good news of Jesus Christ. One angel shows up. But it took an army of angels to give Jesus the worship that he deserved. I think that's such a beautiful transition. One angel shares the good news. A host of angels worship Jesus. A host of angels give glory to God in the highest. A host of angels declare the blessing and the benefits that flow down from heaven, the peace that God offers. And so though man was silent that night, and although although the earth was so quiet when Jesus was born, the heavens could not be contained. The heavens were bursting with praise and worship, declaring glory to God in the highest and peace on earth. Isn't that beautiful? Even Jesus himself, he says, if you guys will not praise, these rocks will cry out. And on Jesus' birth, the whole world thought nothing of who he was. So the heavens resounded with praise. Let's move to our final point. The life-changing offer made to us in Jesus. I love this quote from John Piper. He says, this is the great purpose of Christmas. Glory ever ascending from man to God and peace ever descending from God to man. That's the whole purpose of Christmas. That you and I could become sons and daughters of God and give him the worship and the glory that he deserves. And that God in his grace, God in his majesty, God in his mercy could bring his peace, rain his peace down from heaven unto us. That's the story of Christmas. Now, what does it mean for Jesus to bring peace to us? Whenever I think of peace on earth, I think of like world peace and like elementary social studies, right? Because you learn about war and then we're all kind of like taught to like work for and long for and write about world peace and why we shouldn't fight and why we should all like get along. And so even as a student, we would have these like rallies and we would all hold each other's hands and I was the token Asian kid and so I'd be in the center to show like kind of diversity and we'd sing, we are the world or we are the world. We are the children, right? Because we want world peace. Friends, um, biblical peace, divine peace, it's so much greater than that, okay? To experience the peace of God is more than just having a trouble-free life, okay? It's more than just having prosperity, okay? The men and women in the scriptures who experience the greatest peace from God, they often had the most difficult, sorrowful lives on earth. Jesus himself, like I shared earlier, he is the man of sorrows. 
And yet he is the peace of God presented to us. And so let's not get those things confused. The peace of God is not just prosperity and trouble free. The peace of God is something else. True peace means that there's an end to enmity. True peace means that there's an end to division. True peace means that there's an end to hostility and warfare. And that's what God gives to us. You see, peace, it's relational. It's so relational. And Jesus offers this threefold relational peace. First, it's peace between us and God. Second, it's peace between one another. And lastly, it's peace with ourselves. This is the peace that God offers us. Peace with God, peace with one another, and peace with ourselves. Romans 5.1, let's begin with peace from God. Paul writes, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. How do you get it? How do you get peace from God? Jesus Christ, through the work of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, the reality of this is this. God is holy. God is perfect. He is righteous. And you and I, we're not. We are lawbreakers. We are rebels. We have gone our own way. We've gone astray. We've rejected God. Adam and Eve did this in the garden. You and I do this every day when we choose sin and disobedience over God and his word. We're saying, God, I don't want you. I don't want you, your authority, your rule in my life. I'd rather live my own way. That is enmity. That is division. Adam and Eve, they were kicked out of the garden because of sin. You and I, we don't experience the presence of God because of our sin. We don't have intimacy, God, because of our sin. How do we get that back? How do we get close to God again? How are we able to experience him? Not as just holy, distant creator, but Abba, Father, Jesus. Through the bloodshed work of Jesus, we are justified by faith and we have peace with God. I want you to hear that because I think that there are a lot of you here today, you don't think God likes you very much. If I were like, oh, what would God say to you right now? What would God say about you? There would be a lot of self-condemnation if you wrote that out, wouldn't there? And I, and I feel like your tone would be that of a disapproving father. Like God is tired of you, that he's frustrated with you, that he's not satisfied with you because you've let him down and failed him so many times. Brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ has come and he has secured peace. He's made it right. He's brought you close. He's reconciled you to your Father in heaven. If you know Jesus, he wants you to have his peace. Second dynamic, peace with one another. This is so important, guys. Holidays, you go to family gatherings a lot of times. A lot of times you don't want to. Once you get married, you uh, take on this new family. They are called in-laws. You have a father-in-law, mother-in-law, sister-in-law, brother-in-law, nephews and nieces. And um, as, much as, as much as we want to be like kumbaya, we're all family, the reality is this. There's a lot of hostility. There's a lot of hostility in family. I love my in-laws. They're fantastic, right? But anyways. <laughs> but I will say this, right? Um, if Jesus Christ is Lord over your life, he wants to see that hostility in your family. He wants to see the brokenness 
in relationships that you might have with your parents, with your siblings, with your friends, neighbors, whatever it might be. He wants to see those divisions, those broken relationships healed and mended. You see, Jesus Christ is the peacemaker. And if we are followers of Jesus, he calls us to imitate him. Not just to receive his peace, not just to receive his forgiveness, but he wants us to imitate him as peacemakers so that when people hurt us, we don't react with our own words of hate, with our own actions of judgment and condemnation. He wants us to be like Christ and initiate grace, peace, and reconciliation. This is why Jesus says in Matthew 5, verse 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of of God. This is a heavy passage. See, the true sons and daughters of God, they're not spiteful people. The true sons and daughters of God, they're not unforgiving people. They are able to forgive because they understand the depth of forgiveness that Jesus Christ had offered them. Would you consider this, this Christmas season? that God has called you not only to enjoy peace with him, but to also experience peace with one another. Huge gospel marker. Lastly, peace with ourselves. And I think this season, this is so important. I think there's a lot of us who struggle with self-image, whether it's body image, whether it's your personality, you wish you were a Myers-Briggs E instead of an I, You know, everyone's judging you because you're a P instead of a J. And you're like, oh, God, why did you make me this way? Why can't I be more like this? Right? Uh, Whether you have friends or siblings, you're always comparing yourself against and you just never measure up. I think there's a lot of self-condemnation, self-loathing, self-anxiety. The third gift of the gospel is this gift of peace that we can have with ourselves, in our hearts, in our lives. Paul writes in Philippians 4, 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Do you see that? For Paul in this passage, the opposite of peace is anxiety. The opposite of peace is this fear and stress, and concern, and worry. And he says, don't live in that worry. Don't live in that anxiety. Don't live in that fear. Why? Because God's going to make it okay? No. We are freed from fear because Jesus is with us, and he offers us a greater peace. He offers us a greater security, a peace that surpasses all understanding. You see, we're never alone. You're never abandoned. You can present all of your requests, all of your fears, all of your circumstances to God, and you know that God is listening to you in love, not in weariness. He's listening to you in love. He's receiving you in grace. And so because of the work of Christ, you can have peace in your own heart, peace with yourself. I had a friend, close friend. He went through a divorce uh, many years ago. And um, he was a Christian, grew up in the church. Um, we did a lot of great events together. And I was, as I was talking to him post-divorce, he was seeing a Christian counselor. And he said one of the 
greatest and most important kind of disciplines, lessons that he had to learn as a divorced man living in the failure of marriage. He said he had to learn how to forgive himself. He knew the gospel of Jesus. He knew that Jesus died on the cross for his sins. He knew that God had forgiven him. He wasn't afraid of going to hell, right? So he's like, yeah, I'm good with God's forgiveness over me. He just couldn't forgive himself for failing as a husband, for letting his wife down, for shaming his family, for shaming his ex-wife's family and causing the pain of this divorce. What that brother needed and what that brother found was the peace that transcends all understanding as he revisited, re-encountered the grace of God, as he realized that even despite his failures, that he was a beloved son of Jesus, he was able to receive the forgiveness of God and also forgive himself. What are you carrying? What darkness, what pain, what failure is this yoke around your neck that weighs you down? Today, Jesus wants to offer you peace. Would you receive it? The peace of Jesus, that's so special. It's so unique. You see, in Rome, uh, in the Roman Empire, they were the mightiest empire in the world. They had conquered the edges of Europe all the way to Asia and North Africa. I mean, they were a powerhouse. And once Caesar and all of his generals had conquered and defeated all of their enemies, there was one battle cry, one great cry that came out from Rome, and it was Pax Romana. It was the Roman peace. It was both a declaration of victory, it was a promise of security, right, to, uh, to enliven nationalism and boldness. It was a Pax Romana, Roman peace. Well, one Stoic Roman philosopher, he wrote this, and it's not a verbatim quote, but he said this. He said, Caesar can give us peace in Rome, but Caesar cannot give us peace in our hearts. The same is true. The same is true for any idol, any person, any earthly relationship, any company, any business, any school, any degree that you might chase for significance and security. Those things cannot give you true peace in your heart in the depths of your soul, only Jesus can. So how do you get it? How do you get this peace? Brothers and sisters, the answer is this, through the victory of Christ and our surrender in faith. How do you win a war? How do you win a fight, right? I mean, how do you win a war? It's not by just being more powerful, right? You have to defeat them, but they also have to surrender because if they don't give up, you have to keep fighting. And at some point you're like, stop fighting. Give up, you've lost, right? But if they refuse to surrender, then you have to keep fighting. Same is true with Jesus. Jesus is, a victor he is victorious. Victorious over sin as he resisted every temptation that Satan and this world ever threw at him. He's victorious over death as he rose from the grave three days after his death on the cross. He is victorious over all those things. But for you and I to receive the victory of Jesus, for you and I to receive the power of the cross, we must surrender. Jesus can't just be an add-on to your life. You guys get that? 
And I think there's so many of who treat Jesus like an add-on. We have our own paths, we have our own desires, we have our own preferences, and we just wanna tack on some Jesus. Jesus on a Sunday morning, Jesus maybe on a retreat, Jesus at a weekday small group, but the rest of my life, it is mine. And friends, it doesn't work that way. You receive the victory of Jesus as you surrender your own life, as you surrender your own self-salvation, as you stop trying to perfect yourself, as you stop trying to be the solution for your family, the solution for your soul. And you realize that only Jesus is, and you come to him in this faith-filled surrender. That's when you experience the peace of God. Would you consider that this Christmas? Our passage ends with this beautiful picture. Man, the shepherds, they heard the angels. They heard the, they heard the angels' message. They went to Bethlehem. They saw G, baby Jesus in the manger. All those words came true. They told Mary and Joseph all that they had heard. And then in our final verse, verse 20, Luke tells us, and the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Our passage ends in worship. See, God gives us peace. He brings peace down from heaven through his son, Jesus Christ. And our response, just like the shepherd's response, is to be one of worship, one of thanks, one to celebrate the person and work of God, one to glorify God and worship him alone. Brothers and sisters, would you do that with me this Sunday? Would you do that this Christmas season? Would you worship Jesus? Would you glorify him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Let's give him the worship that he deserves. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who loves us. And you love us not only with word, and you love us not only with just affection, you love us with action. So you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to be born and laid in a manger to experience humiliation, shame, and even death. Death on a cross so that we would be redeemed, so that we could be your sons and daughters, so that we could experience your peace, so that we could become worshipers of you, so that we could join the hosts of heaven and sing glory, glory to God in the highest. Father, I pray for that truth that reality to be here for us right now. For those here who, who don't know your peace, who don't know what it's like to experience your nearness, would your Holy Spirit help them? Would your Holy Spirit meet them and minister to their heart and mind that they would receive Jesus Christ as your son as a sufficient sacrifice for their sins. And would you give them great joy, great joy as they become your sons and daughters. Father, we thank you for the miracle and the gift of Christmas. All we can do is receive it. All we can do is thank you for it. May we worship you and love you back. We thank you in Jesus' name.